from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for October 20th, 2023. Checking the calendar, your Milwaukee Bucks close out the preseason tonight at the Forum with the Memphis Grizzlies. And the regular season opener is Thursday in Philadelphia. And the Packers finally have a Sunday afternoon game. They're in Denver for a 3.30 start. It's also, also this Sunday, it's the second annual Fall Food Truck Frenzy, 11 to three at Retner Park in St. Francis. Don't worry, you'll be home in time for the kickoff. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Amish men are being shunned after the recent nationwide emergency alert because these guys didn't mute their phones. The alert outed them for having cell phones in the first place. They're not supposed to have them. Oh, they're in big trouble. Russian officials held a grand reopening ceremony for a bridge in the Belgrade region, but it turns out the bridge was stolen from a neighboring village. Apparently, all countries bordering on Russia can't have nice things. (laughs) <laughs> a Canadian man was arrested Monday for calling the cops 25 times to help him look for his lost hoodie. He wanted the cops to drive him around town looking for it. I think there might also be a meth charge waiting for him when he gets back. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, here's a different kind of drug story. A 77-year-old Florida man is facing prison for running what can only be described as a black market for erectile dysfunction drugs. He was 77. He was found in possession of $1,800 worth of little blue pills. He must be the most popular guy at the villages. (laughs) On the podcast today, we have Art Rothschild, Tom Pappenfuss, Joel Driesang, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. I think we all want to know if he found that sweatshirt or not. (laughs) Uh, A rough week overall for markets, a lot less to laugh about. The NASDAQ down 3.2%, closing at the bell at 12,984. The S&P 500 down 2.4%. That's down 104 points this week to close at 42.24. The Dow Jones Industrial Average held up a little better. Uh, The less growth-oriented, less tech-heavy stocks doing a little better this week, down just 1.6%, down 544 points after losing 288 points on Friday to close at the bell at 33.126 for the year. The NASDAQ still up a stellar 24.9%, including dividends. The S&P up 11.4%. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, slightly positive at 1.6%, although if you strip out the dividend return to the uh, Dow Jones, the Dow now back in negative territory for the year. You know, I think, Art, the big story this week was the move in Treasury rates, and in particular, the 10-year Treasury, after finishing the week last week at 4.63%, we flirted at points in time on Thursday, and even early Friday morning with almost 5%. It's been a long time since we've seen 5% on the 10-year Treasury, and maybe that number making investors a little bit nervous. Yeah, it, 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 but it's sort of kind of bringing joy to the Fed because it means they don't have to work as hard to slow the economy because these higher interest rates at the long end are definitely doing it. They're making mortgages more expensive. Um, they're bringing down the stock market, which is a good thing as far as the Fed is concerned because it will dampen enthusiasm. Uh, for being more aggressive, you know, in your, in your stock picking. So the fact that we're back to where we were in 2007, the fact that it happened so quickly this week or has happened so quickly over the past couple months really 
um, isn't disappointing me because, quite frankly, it's returning to a more normal relationship between the short and the long-term uh, yields. Um, we've had an inverted yield curve now for a couple of years with this anticipation of the Fed having to lower rates. Now the question is, gee, when are they going to do that? They're suggesting it won't happen until maybe late next year, you know, at the earliest. So um, investors have to expect some volatility um, in the in treasuries, you know, not just stocks. So the further out you go, the more risk you're taking. The fact that this happened so suddenly, I, I don't think we can put a finger on why in particular, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for investors to have a sense of uh, concern, some concern, you know, about what's happening, but not to be terribly disappointed. This is just normal, you know, ups and downs of bonds as well as stocks. Yeah, I think it's just kind of alarming at first. It's not so much the level, because to your point, going back to 2007 and looking back at a longer term time frame, I think the average 10-year Treasury has been about 5.9%. So, I mean, at different points in time in the past, hasn't been a death knell for stocks uh, or other asset investments for growth. So, um, I think it's just alarming because it's a shock coming off the backs of 13 years of very low to no uh, you know, very low 10-year uh, treasuries, and, and, and ultimately, what does it mean? And so we're still trying to, I think the markets and just the general investors trying to figure that out. What does it mean? And obviously, it's rattling things and creating more volatility, uh, more concerns. Um, but I think we just need to let the dust settle. Like you said, it's, I think our main concern, I think the market's main concern right now is just what is this maybe more terminal level of interest rates? And what does that mean for stocks? What, what types of stocks may do better in this kind of environment? Um, and we're still waiting to see that. And, and you know, part of this this move, this market-induced, uh, um, you know, rate is, um, you know, kind of doing some of the work. It's going to start to see the slowing. We haven't seen it yet, um, but I think that's, you know, what is remaining to be seen. So we enter a Fed blackout period where at least 10 days prior to the Fed announcement in early November, we won't hear really anything more from Jay Powell, from other voting Fed members. Um, and it, probably a good time. They had a lot to say this week. Jay Powell mentioning that maybe the higher 10-year Treasury rate is doing some of the Fed's work. Certainly a reflection of high for longer, if not higher for longer, that the Fed has been talking about. And of course, a lot behind maybe why the 10 years moved as, as much as it has. Um, what's interesting to me this last week is that the short-term bonds haven't moved at all. The expectation for rate hikes through the end of this year is basically... Yeah, there's a small chance we get one in December, but not all that likely when you look at what the market believes. Um, Jay Powell did his best to say, no, inflation's still the problem and we're still going to fight it. And yet, you know, again, I don't think the market's buying that there's much more on the short end of the curve. And so you see this large move this week. We moved uh, 30 basis points higher on the 10-year, and yet the 13-week, the kind of short-term measure of, of Treasury bonds, moved lower this week, an expectation that at least for a little while longer, there's not all that much likelihood that rates move higher. And some of this is very technical. When you look at the Fed unwinding a balance sheet that um, was on the order of trillions of dollars in Treasury debt, well, if they're now letting loans, letting Treasuries mature off the portfolio rather than buy, there's fewer buyers. And so, Tom, one of the things you mentioned kind of before the show was there's a lot of technical things driving a higher 10-year treasury, some of that's potentially just less demand overall. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to a supply versus demand issue. If we have, uh, especially as we need to meet, as we see kind of our um, balance sheet and a lot more debt out there, and as we possibly are looking at higher rates to pay down that debt, um, we need to issue more 
to to pay on those and what happens is ultimately um they in order to issue that you have to have a buyer for that um, but if there's limited number of buyers you're gonna have to make it more attractive for them to buy it so the the challenge can be that we may not see yields drop dramatically quickly because uh because of that need for new buyers to come in and them you know again demanding higher yields it, it could keep rates a little bit more elevated for longer and of course you've got countries like japan and china less interested in our debt in addition to the fed buying less of uh, the, the treasury bonds that are out there and so you know maybe some signs that uh, the the borrowing itself is supported at five instead of the four that it was a while ago you add in that well we we may need the yield curve to normalize if growth really is as strong as we've seen um, and that tells you that there's a pretty natural cap on how high rates go but also a pretty natural cap on how far they fall from here at least in the short term and so i think there's this kind of expectation that maybe we're trading in a more narrow range from here for the 10-year for bonds more broadly if only because uh, the range of expectations is a little tighter but the good news is that invest and you've talked about this on the show repeatedly um, bonds are a better investment than they have been in decades and so because you can get five percent or close to five percent not to mention short-term bonds and, and cds paying and money markets paying five percent so this is a great opportunity for people to have safe money getting and get paid on it um, higher than the rate of inflation um, the fed you know to a certain extent is again exacerbating the problem by releasing bonds you know, number one, and so they're adding to, they're, they're, they're probably happy that rates are going up because as we said, it is doing their work um, for them. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not alarmed by this, it's just a qu question as to why it took so long. But furthermore, when they do lower rates eventually, so it's taken these higher rates to finally get, give us a sense that maybe things will start to slow. So at that point, if the Fed lowers rates, maybe that will contribute to a more normal yield curve, um, which could suggest that, you know, a more normal economy. But we're, I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if we'll know until we get there. Yeah, we are still dealing with the impact of COVID. We're still dealing with the reworkings of supply chains that are, you know, three years in, in the running now. And so a more normal economy, I'm not even sure we know what that looks exactly. like. Um, we talk about what's the long-term average. You know, Tom, you mentioned 5.9% on the 10-year Treasury. Is that the right number? I don't, I don't even know that we've got a good sense of uh, what that should look like beyond you know, where we are today, just given how quickly things have shifted. And so what's interesting is in the midst of all of this Treasury talk this week, we had a number of earnings reports come out. Tom, we had banks, we had some consumer stocks, some signs that earnings are getting better, but still pieces that we need to watch out for. Yeah, we're still, um, looks like we're, as far as earnings uh, releases this week, it looks like we're still beating the, the average. I think we're about 81% or above uh, their earnings forecast for the week um, against a long-term average of about 77%. So uh, I, obviously it hasn't moved markets, the positive signs in, some of the, in that way, because they're just not concerned about it. I think rates are still the number one issue facing. Um, and not only that, but uh, paying attention to, you know, some slowing potentially, I mean, a strong economy, but underneath the surface, maybe forecasting slowing down the road and how that might impact our earnings, uh, you know, looking out 12 months down the road. And I think one of the things I've kept a close eye on in the earnings reports is how consumer cyclical companies, how banks, how some of the credit card companies are talking about the consumer. 
and some signs that maybe they're a little more concerned now about some spending that's already taken place on revolving debt, uh, some write-downs that are taking place on some of the smaller banks to protect themselves from potential losses down the road. And then, you know, most importantly, maybe some signs that some of that uh, high-flying spending that was out there uh, has started to taper off in some areas. And I don't think a quarter tells us all that much, and that's always part of the problem with earnings season is we're getting a very small snippet in time. We're getting three months that are, you know, very unique to the rest of the market. But what's maybe most important right now is that at least the way earnings are shaping up, we may finally be back to earnings growth. We've talked about recession at length and how likely is it the economy enters recession. Well, a reminder that corporate America from an earnings standpoint has been in recession for the better part of the last three quarters. This third quarter here in 2023, finally back to growth, hopefully. Uh, and a little bit stronger growth as we look ahead. Forget for a second that that probably doesn't come without seven names, right? We're talking about that magnificent seven being the thing that's really driven the earnings growth. Absent that, you're talking about an earnings outlook that's a little more bleak than what we're, we, we've already seen. So you know, I think we, we can't forget in the midst of all this conversation on macro topics, on kind of the economy more broadly, we can't forget that it really is about earnings and interest rates. Uh, there's a reason why those are the first two things we talk about today is, while we're in the middle of earnings season and the 10-year Treasury had a pretty massive move, interest rates had a pretty massive move higher. No wonder that's what we're talking about. And yet, you know, our, the geopolitical risks keep, seem to keep piling on. Uh, no shortage of things to distract investors from the bigger picture. Yeah, it's pretty strange, quite frankly. Um, normally, in times of crisis, people buy Treasuries. So interest rates go down. That's not happening this time. People are selling treasuries. Interest rates are going up. Um, selling stocks, that makes sense. You know, when you've got a crisis reducing risk, the fact that the NASDAQ went down more this week um, than the Dow, that's a normal uh, pattern. But the fact that the S&P is still up 10% or whatever for the year, well, it's disappointing it was up 20. If we were timing the markets, which we don't do, which we don't endorse or embrace or think is, you know, something you can do successfully, um, you know, would have been nice to have sold, you know, at the end of August, you know, take your money and run. Uh, I think you guys might have mentioned that on the show at one point, not suggesting it, but it was a good, we had a good year going, but we don't have a bad year, you know, all things considered. And when you consider, you know, the magnitude of the global um, worries, you know, war in Ukraine, now we have a war in the Middle East. Um, we're, now we have a, our Congress in gridlock because the House can't, you know, get a speaker. Um, and the stock market just went down a little bit this week. It's down, we're down a, a bit off the highs. Um, that tells you how strong the potential is for the future, you know, and not to mention the fact that the U.S. economy is probably the best in the world at this point. Uh, China's economy is slowing. Uh, our economy is, is likely to grow faster uh, this quarter. The numbers, are, we're seeing forecasts of 4% uh, to 5% growth, you know, in the third quarter just ended. And as you suggest, corporate profits are going to start reflecting uh, higher earnings next year. Let's just hope we make some money. But this week, eh, you know, what do you expect with you know, all the negativity out there? You know, we're going to lose a few bucks every once in a while. Joel Art mentioned the kind of growth rate here, expectations for the third quarter, but some news from the conference board on leading economic indicators that, you know, they're at least seeing the potential for maybe a little slowdown as we enter 2024. Yeah, Kyle. Um, so that business research group is one that takes 10 different um, broader at, uh, indicators and has studied them, you know, up and down for years. And based on those indicators, they can um, make forecasts on what's 
going on with the bigger economy. And what they found in their what they released this week was that um, th- their indicators have been down for 18 months in a row. And throughout that time, they've been saying, well, you know, <laughs> a recession is, is coming, a recession is coming. And now they're saying, you know, actually the alarm bells aren't ringing anymore, but <laughs> we're still forecasting that there's going to be a, what they called a shallow recession in the beginning of, uh, in the first half of 2024. They actually um, measured how much uh, their indicators have been going down and the pace of, of uh, contraction uh, slowed down uh, the last six months versus the six months before that, but um, they're still seeing signs that it's not going to get better and that there is going to be a recession. And perhaps there's something to be said for some of the comments from late last year into early this year about a recession coming, but coming in a much more atypical fashion, right? A, a more of a rolling recession than a static recession, seeing it in different parts of the economy at different times, even in different regions at different times. And so maybe that's more of what we're seeing now is it's not that they were wrong. Yeah, the sky did fall. It's just not where I'm standing. And it's it's got to make it that much harder for the for the Fed governors to decide what to do about interest rates because they're remember they're raising those rates to to cool down inflation and to try to do it without plunging us into recession and you know as we talk about uh, at the seminar um, which is going to be on our website now so if you go to landis.com you can um, access uh, the video that we that Jason Skuglik put together of the of the investment outlook seminar. But, you know, as, as we said in that, is that um, it there's a lag between these actions that the Fed takes and the effects on the economy. Uh, other economic data, we had retail sales data, maybe a bit of a mixed bag there. Yeah, I mean, mixed bag is, is kind of what we talk about every week. And again, that makes it harder for the Fed. I mean, you know, it'd be different if everything was, all the indicators were going down and all, or all of them were going up. But um, you know, the, the retail sales numbers show that consumers are still spending. Um, they're spending on different things, though. They're, um, you know, 10 out of the 13 major categories were actually up in September. Um, the things that went down were things like appliance stores and uh, clothing stores, home and garden centers. Uh, the things that went up the most were car dealers, um, uh, retail um, I'm sorry, online retailers. And then, you know, one that we kind of look at closely month to month is the bars and, uh, and restaurants. And that went up again in September. And it's usually a sign that people are still confident of going out there and spending some money. And potentially that uh, appliance number and the uh, home and garden number maybe tells a story of a housing market that's been a bit challenged recently. You don't have a new house. You don't have uh, work you're, you want to do on that new house, or if you're so encumbered by that higher interest rate, potentially you don't have the money to spend on those new appliances and the, that that uh, that new gardening. Uh, of course, we got some housing data this week too. That yeah, it, to, to abuse it, maybe also a bit of a mixed bag. There. Yeah, the National Association of Realtors said that existing home sales were at the lowest uh, pace since 2010. So that's that's a doozy. It's 15 percent behind where it was a year ago. Um, then we also had uh, new housing stuff, actually stuff that's being built. Uh, the Commerce Department reported on housing starts and building permits. Um, those are both 25% down from where they were in the spring of 2022 when 
the Fed started raising interest rates. So those, you know, first of all, that affects mortgage rates, right? And, and so we've so seen those numbers um, going down there now below where they were before the pandemic. And then I think, you know, a, a somewhat light week for indicators, but every one of them seems to carry a lot of weight. We had unemployment claims come in maybe a little better than we've seen or better than we had hoped for. Yeah, there's another, you know, you talk about the mixed bag. I mean, that's that's one that week after week we see that the the labor economy is still pretty robust. I mean, that you know, that initial initial claims for unemployment insurance is a sign of um, how reluctant employers are to let go of their workers, and they're pretty reluctant. Yeah, as they should be. There's uh, there's plenty of opportunity out there right now. There's plenty of for hire signs still still up everywhere you look, and so I think as we kind of look at an economy that continues to potentially soften a little. Well, we've got plenty of room for that softening, plenty of opportunity going forward. Um, you know, if you're interested in checking out that video, as Joel mentioned, it'll be on the website uh, soon, available to access. Um, and then most importantly, um, you know, ask questions, right, as you're going through it. Uh, feel free to reach out to your advisor. Feel free to reach out to uh, to your your team more broadly, just to to figure out. Okay, here's how what this means for me, because it's one thing for us to paint that picture in kind of broad strokes. It's another to know what's this mean for me specifically. Watch it closely though, because we'll post another uh, uh, quiz in a couple of weeks, and so you <laughs> want to test your knowledge. Yeah, extra credit at, uh, <laughs> if you if you need it for your uh, for your class grade here. Uh, we enjoy doing the program for you. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>